This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers, your personal career coach on SiriusXM Business Radio, channel 132. Hey, every week we are here live on Thursdays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, to take your phone calls on any and all job search and career questions at 844-942-7866. So if it's Thursday, phone lines are open right now. We've got Dion and Dana in studio who make this show run smoothly and also make it a lot more fun. And I'm Dr. Dawn Graham in my day job. I lead career coaching for executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success. So on today's show, I'm very excited because it's all about you. It's all about open calls. And I'm going to talk about the job search mistakes that even savvy job seekers are making in today's job market because what I want for you is for you not to have to worry about using your energy for things that are not going to get you where you want to be. So I'm going to be covering some of those job search mistakes that you can avoid. But of course, if it's Thursday, it is always open calls here on Dr. Dawn on Careers. And we want to hear from you at 844-942-7866. What is going on in the news. Well, there is a new uh, report out by the World Economic Forum that nearly eight in 10 global CEOs say they're concerned about availability of people with the right skills as demand grows for new and emerging skills in UX design, cybersecurity, data science. The CEOs are worrying about this, what we have heard called war for talent. But What Harvard Business Review is saying is that why are we having a war for talent when not only is it easier, but it's also cheaper to develop people in your organization. So spending per employee for training is about $1,000 a year on average. But to hire somebody, the estimates out there are about $4,000 to make a new hire. And companies like Netflix have gone so far as to offer new hires double their previous pay to lure them away from companies. So, so this idea of passive hiring is happening. But what the experts are saying is that as the market shifts, what's going to be more important for employers is that they don't focus on letting people go who don't have the right skills and then trying to compete for people who do. But what they are saying is that we need to shift the paradigm so that organizations are training people on the skills they need, which makes a lot of sense because they already know the culture, they already have proven themselves, and they're loyal. And so what do we know about people leaving organizations. Here's some other HBR interesting stats. 10 times as many people leave at year one than at year five. Quitting peaks around anniversaries. So if you think about if it's your five-year anniversary, maybe this is when you vested or maybe you're thinking five years, I need a new job. And the longer people have stayed in an organization, the less likely they are to leave. So when you consider these stats, companies would be wise to invest in reskilling their employees who are already there and they can build the skills. Is your company reskilling? Have you seen this going on? 844-942-7866. And we are going to go to the phones. We're going to go to Anonymous in Philly. And that is completely fine. You can always call this show without a name. We love it. Welcome to the show. What's your question today? Hi, how are you? Thanks again for your time. Um, I was recently reading a book by your your colleague at Wharton, Adam Grant, on um, the originals, and he talked a lot about in there, I thought it was an interesting um, concept about, he was talking about uh, investor trying to raise money as, an, as a, you know, a startup company and trying to raise money, and this concept of actually presenting to the investors why you wouldn't want to raise money, right, why you wouldn't want to invite, in, invest in this organization. It sort of let the guard down. It didn't make you appear to be overly confident. Can you talk to a little bit, can you talk to that in this concept of interviewing? And is this idea of presenting 
very early in an organization, if you feel like you're confident in the abilities, your abilities to do it, but maybe there's one or two things that you know that are going to be sticking points, do you bring it up right away to try to to try to change the narrative, to put the narrative more in your position? Yeah. Or, um, so I'd be eager... Specifically, yes, I'd be eager for your opinion. Yeah, so just let me make sure I'm getting the question right. So if you have something that you're particularly nervous about coming up in the interview, so for example, maybe you were fired, maybe you um, you have something in your background that may, maybe you had a lawsuit or, or you know, criminal record or things like that, basically what you're asking, is it better to put that up front or is it better to um, keep your fingers crossed and make sure they don't ask? Is that the question? No, no, no. Okay. Nothing of that egregious nature. Okay, not that egregious. No, nothing like that. More so, you know, I think they'll want a a different pedigree. I think they want somebody with XYZ business school, this, that, the other, but I know that I can do the job. Do I present it that way? Do I present, do you present yourself, um, you know, with your capabilities, but also addressing, like, Listen, this is a high-profile role. I get it. Um, but I know I can do the job, you know, despite. I, I, I'm, I hope I'm yeah. communicating appropriately. So, yeah. So let me let me address that because, um, you know, first off, we all come from, if, if you've worked in the workforce any amount of time, everybody has something in their background that's a red flag. And I think it's important that you, you know how to address it. In your case, it sounds like maybe you're making a career switch and you don't have um, either a degree or certain experiences that you know they're looking for. And so in that case, here's the deal. We need to stop focusing on that one red flag and make our entire interview or our entire application about that. Because the fact is, it's one part of us. And I think what too often many people do is they get so worked up about it that they they over-communicate and they sound defensive about it. And then the employer's worried that, oh, maybe this is a bad choice. So here's what I usually say. Depending on what it is, obviously, there's there's different ways to... to um, the verbiage to come out, but here's you want to own it. And you when by owning it doesn't mean that the first thing you say is, Hi, I'm Dawn and I don't have any of the things you're looking for, or here's a list of the five things you want that I don't have. I mean, that is not how you want to present yourself. You want to recognize your audience and what their pain points are. And you've already said you feel confident that you can do this job. And if you're confident that you can do this job, then that's all I need to know. Now you need to convince your audience. So what makes you confident you can do this job? What are those skills that that um, that you know the employer is going to want? And, and ignore what you don't have for right now. What are those skills that make you assured that you can do this job? That's a question. I would use your name, but I don't have it. <laughs> oh, okay. You're asking me directly. I am. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I, I believe that I, I do have the skills. I believe that I have the skills of um, the salesmanship of it. I believe that I have the opportunity to help com- the company grow, the leadership within management. Um, I believe that I have <clears throat> a lot of, I believe I understand the end market and the audience, um, kind of both from a provider standpoint and then the end market standpoint. So I believe that I've been a good kind of middle connector. Um so that's really with, with it not being as polished, not knowing you were going to ask me that. But that's of sort of, I do believe that. I do believe that I have those skills. Um, I worry that where is where, yes, I believe I have those skills for sure. I'm going to put out a couple of pieces of data that may help you feel more confident. Um, One, uh, what we know based on the research is that women tend to only apply to jobs where they feel 100% qualified, whereas men tend to apply if they're 60% qualified. What the data shows is that 60% is often good enough because there is no such thing as a perfect candidate. There's no such um, thing as ideal in every way, in the same way as a job seeker, there's no such thing as as the ideal job. There's a lot of good things about it, but ideal usually doesn't exist. So I think that's one. Two, a lot of times if you're reading a job description online, it is not created with, um, with as much care as you might think. So in an ideal world, the job description 
would be aligned to performance measures and outcome measures. But if you read them, oftentimes they sound more like commercials or they're really talking about the company and how great the culture is and it's wonderful to work here. And then they have this list of things they're looking for in an employee, which, you know, in a lot of ways are very generic. You need to have a bachelor's degree or master's preferred or results um, focused or collaborative or all of these things. And so what we tend to do when we're applying is focus on all the things we don't have and say, wow, out of this list of 10 things, I don't have four of them. So I guess I shouldn't apply. So know that the job description you're probably looking at or the application is not created with as much care as you maybe hope or want it to be. The next thing you need to know is that hiring managers at the end of the day, what are they looking for? They're looking for somebody who can come in, do the job, is hungry to do it, and makes them look good. Does it matter that you have a degree from an Ivy League school? No, because you can do all those things without it. Does it matter that you have direct experience in this industry? A lot of times, no, if you can show that you can do it. So that's that's going to be on you is to put together your story. And you've made a list of a lot of skills that are very transferable. And now your next step is to put achievements with those. So to put um, credibility statements with them. So you talked about how you're a connector and you have all these. So so tell me, and you don't have to do it on air because I know that can be a little bit intimidating, but tell the, me, the employer, how those have achieved results for another company. Because if you show me how you've gained results, especially if you give me examples of situations where you may not have had the direct experience or you didn't have a lot of guidance or you had to try something new. Because if you're making a switch, these experiences say a lot about you. They say, wow, this person can function in situations that they've they've never been in before and achieve great results. So you need to go in with those things. The fact is, based on what you're telling me, the things you don't have, whether it's a specific degree, they already know that. They've seen your resume. They know that you don't have these things. And if they they still want to talk to you, they see something in you that can be a great asset for the job. Another thing you could do is, is use referrals because one of the things I love about referrals, and a lot of people say, oh, I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone. You probably do. <laughs> maybe not directly, but maybe a friend of a friend. If you can get somebody inside the company to say, hey, this person is hungry, they're driven, they roll their sleeves up, they get things done, they go the extra mile, then a lot of those qualifications that maybe are not, um, you know, at the top front and center of your resume aren't ones that matter because it's really difficult to teach somebody how to be a good communicator, how to be a collaborator, how to be great with a customer. It's much easier to teach somebody a technology system or, you know, some of the lingo that goes on. So think about that too. And what I want you to do is because you're already confident. You've told me you're confident. Confidence breeds confidence. So I want you to go in and present your case. And when you're asked about, hey, but you don't have this, instead of saying, you know, a big deal and going into a long diatribe around all that, I want you to say, that's true, but this is what I do bring to the role that is going to make this team successful. And you've got to say it with that level of confidence and don't dwell on all the things that you don't have. Is that helpful? Very helpful. Thank you very much. Yeah, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for calling us here in Dr. Dawn on Careers. This is what we are here for. We are here for these specific situations that may feel a little bit unclear, ambiguous. How do I do this? We want to help you with those. And see, you don't need to give your name. You can call. You can make up a name. Make up a fun name. Create an alter ego. We can do it. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. Dion, I thought of a very fun thing to do for February. Oh I know. Fun for me, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we could do Would You Rather February. Would You Rather career questions. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my first one. And I'm actually putting this out to, to our listeners as well because I think it's a fun thing. I love engaging with uh, people who listen to the show. And I definitely want to hear your feedback and why. So here's my, here's my first February would you rather. Would you rather work your regular job for the next year for double pay? Okay. Or take vacation for the next year but get... Half pay. If, if, if I'm working, so I'm working for double pay for the next year. 
Yeah, so you're doing your regular job, but right. you're going to get paid double your salary. Or you take the whole next year and sit in your, your living room or go to Aruba or whatever you want to do, do nothing, and get half of your pay. Do I get my regular vacation with the double pay? Sure. Sure. Man, I'm, I'm doing the double pay. You're doing the double I'm pay? I'm doing the double pay. I really? got bills. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a hard question, right? Not, no, not really. Oh, all right. All right. It's not a hard question for Dion. So, yeah, would you rather your regular job for the next year at double pay or take vacation for the next year on half pay? Yeah, I got bills too, but I also have credit cards. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and pretty decent credit. So, so I feel like I could, I could make it up, you know. I, I don't need vacation that long. Yeah. Like, I, I'd probably. If I if I'm if I'm on vacation too long, I'll probably get bored and I'll need something to do. But you could you can invest that time in your drumming career. I mean, you don't have to sit home. I mean, while I love drumming and while I love playing music, it is still work. No, I know it's work. <laughs> I know it's work, but I'm just saying that you don't have you could invest in in reading a book a week. You can there you could take yeah, a class. That's a little bit like work too. All right, all right. Well anyway, if you're listening, would you rather your regular job for the next year at double pay or take vacation for the next year on half pay? Ooh, and you could you can make up the difference on credit cards. 844-942-7866. Dr. Dawn on careers. And did you miss it? Last week we talked about signs you can pick up during the hiring and interviewing process that will give you an insider ammunition for your salary negotiations. But don't worry, you can find this show along with over 200 more on iTunes and Google Play under Dr. Dawn on Careers, and you can subscribe so you never miss another episode. Hey, it's Thursday. We're live, 844-942-7866. Dr. Dawn on Careers, your personal career coach. Got a question? You can call us all hour long. It is Open Call Thursday, and we're going to go back to the phones with Isaac in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Hello. Hello. Yeah, so my question is, sometimes I feel like uh, when I'm going for, uh, when I'm interviewed, maybe I portray too much of confidence. Ooh. Uh, I, I, uh, I talk a little bit too much. I've had a couple of experience, and I felt after the interview, maybe I did, and I showed that I know a little bit. I'm good. I, I know about my field, my career. And I've also learned that sometimes I end up even asking more questions to the person that interview me. How is that good or bad or how should I balance it off? Yeah, good question, Isaac. And here's the thing. In the job search, they're... they're um you know, when you talk about good or bad, it really is dependent on the individual situation. So you talk about being too confident and maybe this makes you talk too much or say too much. So uh, that can be one of two things. It can be confidence, but it can actually be nerves. Sometimes when we're nervous, we tend to just talk, 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 talk to fill the space because we, we are uncomfortable with silence. So, so there's that part, too. Is that anything um, that might resonate with you? Yeah, I think sometimes I'm not not too much of nervousness, but I feel like I want to explain. I'm I think I have a lot of experience in my in what I do, and maybe because of my education background, I don't have a college degree. I have a certificate in construction management. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I feel like okay, I may have to have to express and show this because I was yes. speaking to the, the other person when he was talking. But I, and then I had a phone call, so I lost a lot of it. So I think, just like you said, you have to forget about one thing that you are not good at and just concentrate on the good side. Yeah, Isaac, I think you're exactly spot on with that because here's the deal. This is, we're going to talk about today mistakes that people make um, in the job search. And one of them is not preparing out loud for the interview. So actually legit talking with a friend or a career coach or a neighbor or somebody who can give you feedback and literally practicing out loud 
as if you're doing, say, a real interview, because sometimes that person who's an objective person can tell you, hey, your answers are really long or you seem like you're overcompensating. And oftentimes if we feel like we don't have a key qualification, maybe it's in your case a degree, maybe we're making a career switch or maybe we were laid off from our last job and we're worried about this kind of getting in the way, we tend to overcompensate in other areas, which might mean we're over explaining and that unfortunately can come across as defensive to an interviewer who is looking for red flags. So what I I think you're spot on with the thought of don't don't talk about what you don't have, don't worry about what you don't have, but you clearly have great skills for this industry and I think if you focus on those and are confident in those, then you can create a concise answer that shows the person you can do the job without saying too much or letting the conversation flow a little bit more versus saying everything that you have to say in one felt swoop. Because here's the deal. Humans are very, very um, easily distracted. So if you talk for any length of time, often they zone out and that's unfortunate. But but if you notice that, especially if you're in an in-person interview, you can pause and you can, um, you know, say, you know, I have more I want to say on this topic, but I'm going to pause here to see if I've answered your question. Something else you can do when you're speaking, especially if you're you're speaking in any length, is you can give people anchors, meaning. If somebody asks you a question and says, Isaac, why are you qualified for this? Or tell me how, you know, why I should hire you. You could say, you know, there, there are three main reasons that I know I can hit the ground running in the job. The first is, and then be very concise in those three answers, but having that anchor of the first is, the second reason, and the, the final reason will help people track with you. It'll help keep you organized. It'll help keep you on task. And that's can be really hard to do when you're in an interview. So I would say, practice, write down your answers, write down um, a structure for yourself and recognize that you don't have to overcompensate. If you're being interviewed, you're asked there for a reason. They believe you have the skills and, and half of the interview is really about the relationship. So it should be a dialogue. It should feel comfortable and, and you don't need to, to go into any length. They, they want you to do well. Is that helpful, Isaac? Yeah, I think that's, that's very good. But I just have another question. So what about, um, I had recently another state interview and a person asked me uh, how much are you looking for and how much you think think are you looking for? So first I didn't want to tell them and I said, well, I told them the the money that I'm looking for based on my experience and my, based on my experience and my qualification, I think this is the amount I think I... I think I would. So she said, okay, I'm going to talk to the hiring manager and I will get back to you. And at the end, I get email from them. We like you. We think I had a lot of experience, but uh, we'll move on to somebody else. So how do you also answer that question? How do you answer that question? They ask you how much yep. you think you are looking for. So here's the thing and this is this is another thing that people tend to leave money on the table. This is another mistake people make, but they also another mistake they make in the job search is recognizing that there's two stages to the negotiation process. Um, and and the first one is usually done in the phone screen or the very first interview. And this is what I call ballpark salary number because the company needs to know that you're in the ballpark of what they're offering. And you as a candidate need to know that, that they're in the ballpark of what you want to make. So this is very common. This is not the negotiation period. This is not when you want to get into um, you know very specifics of, of things you want or need or you know all that. But what you want to do is just establish that everybody's in the ballpark. So there's a couple of ways to answer this. Um, First off, they may ask you what you're currently making. Now, this is now illegal in a lot of states. So you need to determine if this is illegal in your state. And if it is, then you know, hopefully you won't be asked that. But regardless of how the question is asked, think of it this way, that you want to make sure you're in the same ballpark. So if they're saying, what are you looking to make, Isaac? Then what I would I would do is really easily flip it around and say, you know, could you tell me the range for the job? And if the range is in your ballpark, then you say, great, that's within range. Um, I'd love to move forward, learn more about the position. If they push you for a salary, what are you making now? Or, you know, what do you want to make? Then I think what you need to do is have done your market research so that you know 
exactly what the market in your geography with your skill level is paying for this. And you might need to go on a couple of websites. I'll be the first to say that there's a number of websites out there and I don't think any one is 100% accurate. So look on payscale.com, look on salary.com. You can look at glassdoor.com. There's a lot of ones you can go at. Find the general range and say, based on what I know about the position at this time, because right now it's the first or initial conversation you're having, I'm looking for a range between X and Y. And then that's it. That's all you need to do. And then wait till you get the offer to get into more specifics. And this way, if you learn that there's so much more to the job than they told you, you're going to have to travel 80% or you're going to have to manage a team of 300 and you didn't know any of this in the beginning, then later in the negotiation, you can say, based on what I've learned about the job, you know, in my market research and what I'm bringing to the table, this is this is the range that I'd be looking for. So I think that's what you need to do is try and ask them first what the salary they're paying. And if they won't share that with you, then I think you need to give them a a uh, range based on your market research. Does that make sense, Isaac? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. And I love watching, listening to what I watch and I listen to you guys from time to time. Thank you. That was very helpful. Thank you so much, Isaac. We really appreciate it. We wish you all the best in your search. And hey, that's what we're here for. We are here. We are live. And we want to talk to you. So give us a call, 844-942-7866. I know, I know we've, uh, we've had a couple more phone calls coming in. So if you've, you've dropped off the line, give us a call back. We'd love to talk to you, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Dr. Dawn Graham. We're talking about common mistakes that people make in the job search process. So we've just talked about negotiating. A lot of times what people do is fail to negotiate. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to leave money on the table. I'll tell you, one of my very first corporate jobs, I found out about two weeks after I started the job that uh, other people who got hired into a similar role got a sign-on bonus. And I was clearly frustrated and I'm like well I didn't I didn't get a sign-on bonus and I asked my manager why did I get a sign-on bonus and she's like well you didn't ask and there it was there it was so here's the deal if you don't ask you don't get and it's really really not as hard as we like to believe it is here's the deal most companies expect you to negotiate when I was a recruiter if you didn't negotiate my first thought is Ooh, I made a mistake and offered too much. Um, so know that it's expected and really easily say, is there any flexibility? That's a great way to open the conversation. And if you don't ask, you don't get. And it's not just base salary. There's so many other things. Sign-on bonus, tuition reimbursement. I got smart after that experience. And the next company, I knew I was going to go back to school and get a graduate degree at night. And so they had a tuition reimbursement policy, but it didn't kick in until one year of being with the company. So in my negotiating, I said, I know I'm going to be returning to school in the evening. Can you waive that one year so that I can get that tuition reimbursement soon? Bam. Done. There are a lot of buckets where money is coming from in companies. And sometimes the thing that puts more money in your pocket isn't as as expensive, if you will, to the company as you might think it is. So please negotiate. There's always something to negotiate. Always sleep on it. And don't leave that sign-on bonus on the table like I did way back when. 844-942-7866. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. We're talking about common mistakes that even savvy job seekers make when they're looking for a job. But right now, we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. So here we go. According to a study in psychological science, participants who ate tortilla chips this way prior to negotiation settled on an outcome more quickly than those who didn't. How did people eat their tortilla chips? Um, as Dion's cracking up. 844-942-7866. Dion, how did people eat their tortilla chips? Or maybe you know. Maybe you know what helped them to be more successful in their negotiation. Give us a call all hour long. Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM 132. We're here 844-942-7866 and we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Business Radio.
Welcome back to Dr. Don on Careers, your personal career coach. Every Thursday, live, 844-942-7866. It is Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We are taking your calls all hour long. Any and all career questions are welcome. Maybe you're reading some things online, but you're not sure how they apply to you. We are here to help. And of course... Of course, if you don't want to give your name or location, that is completely fine. You can be anonymous and uh, I will still help you. 844-942-7866. We're talking today about common job search mistakes that people make, even savvy job seekers. And we've talked about a couple so far, but I want to talk about a few more. One is an interesting debate right now about cover letters. So what are your thoughts about cover letters? Here's the deal. I know a lot of people out there say the cover letter is a waste of time, but I am going to disagree with that. I think failing to write a cover letter does a couple of things. One's, one, it, it's, it shows that you don't have the extra few minutes to invest in sharing why you're interested in applying to this job. I think, I think two, it, you miss the opportunity to show the employer some additional information about you. And the, the argument always is, well, no one reads them, no one reads them. But let me tell you this. Here's the deal. Resume always comes first. I will promise you that as a recruiter and as somebody who knows a lot of hiring managers and recruiters, everybody's going to read the resume first. And then if they're interested, they're going to look for that cover letter. So it's probably true that if if your resume doesn't meet their standards, they're not going to read that cover letter. But I think that is where you differentiate yourself because you may have heard the stat that only 17% of cover letters are read, but here's the deal. Only 25% of resumes even make it through the applicant tracking system. So when you add that piece of data, you're re- you, you realize why that number is so low. So here's the thing. If you're applying to a company and if you're genuinely interested, I think it makes sense to have a draft cover letter shell that you modify that is tailored towards the organization, is is brief, one page, you know, short, but to the point that shows that you took the extra time to invest. Otherwise, companies are just assuming you're papering the world with your resumes and throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. So cover letter, uh, Dr. Dawn on Careers says, yes, do it. 844-942-7866. We're going to go to Michael in Michigan. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers. What's on your mind today? Hey, thank you. Um, I'm a longtime attorney, and i am decided I, I want a career change. I don't want to do this job anymore, and I want to do a career change. I have international experience in, in my life backgrounds, uh, lots of public service. Um, I'd love to go overseas and do some things, maybe work for large nonprofits. I just don't know where to start the best job search or who to contact, like uh, recruiters and stuff. Yeah. So first off, um, you know we love switchers on Dr. Dawn on careers. So this is this is not unusual. When did you have you been an attorney since um, you know? your 20s? Have you been an attorney for a long time, Michael? Since 1989. 1989. So it's interesting because a lot of times we get on a path that makes sense at the time and then we don't want to do that anymore. The world changes and there's things that are more interesting. So the good news, Michael, is that you're in a period of time where people are more accepting than ever of people changing careers. You also have clearly a strong education, a strong background. I'm assuming you have a lot of connections because you um, you know, work in the professional world, but you may not have connections in the places that you want to be. So step one is to really figure out what your plan A is, Michael. You know what you don't want to do. You don't want to be an attorney any longer, and you sort of have an idea about what you do want to do next, but it's not really fully formed. So you may want to go overseas you may want to um, you know do something in in you know the, the community service aspect but what cause do you want to support what country are you looking to go to I think you need to get to that level of specificity so that you can completely rebrand your background to show how you would be a strong candidate for that so have you done any um, kind of work to figure out what your target might be Michael well, I know I like the, the thought of going to Africa or the Middle East um, to do um, public service, community uh, development, that kind of thing. 
Um, I've done some of that in the past, working on local com- committees and development boards for the communities I've lived in, and and uh, I've been the executive director of a couple of nonprofits, one in the medical field. So that, that's always been my bent, and actually law was my backup. <laughs> I've always been working in my backup, so... Um, well, so that's, that's sort of what I'm thinking. Yeah, fantastic. So you already have contacts in these circles. You've already maybe done um, trips. You've, you're already on boards in this area. So I think you already have the, a great place to start. And I think one of the things you want to do right now is to to do some informational interviews with the people you already know. So the people who you've worked with in, in these community service projects, the people that you've worked with on these boards, and start to say, you know what, I've, I've come to a time where I'm very serious about making this my full-time venture and I'm looking to to shape my target to find the best match possible and I have these questions for you and so some of the questions might be really tactical around you know where where is it um, where can you transfer to that's easier than other places I mean certainly it's it's difficult to go overseas so maybe there are some places that are easier than others where would you want to be so you mentioned Africa do you have a specific place Big continent, Africa is. It is a big continent. No, I don't. I have, I have friends in several countries, and I've reached out to them, and still waiting for some responses. You know, I've also reached reached out to friends in in uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and, and the Middle East. So I've, I've started that process, um, but I'm right at the beginning of it, and so I just I've, I'm having a part time, you know, recognizing or or identifying. Um, Recruiters that work in those areas, especially in, in the larger nonprofit sectors. So, so okay. Yeah. So a couple of things. So you, it sounds like you already have friends overseas, and you've reached out, and you're waiting to hear back. So one of the reasons I'm wondering if they're struggling to help you is because your ask is too general. So, for example, if you reach out and you say, "Hey, I'm, I'm ready to make a career change, and I'm thinking of moving to this geography. Do you know of anything?" It can be really difficult for for that person to do all that work to figure out where you'd be a good fit. So I think you need to do some work on where you'd be a good fit and what strengths you have that would apply to the audiences that work, they're working with. I think that's another common uh, mistake that job seekers make is they they expect their network to do the majority of the work for them. And while they want to be helpful, the more specific your ask, the more helpful they're going to be. So for example, reaching out to your, your friends or colleagues overseas and saying, can you introduce me to the person who runs this organization? Or to answer your earlier question, where does your company go to recruit candidates? I would ask your friends saying, what recruiters do you use? What agencies do you use to fill your roles? Because chances are they know who those people are and they can put you in touch with them. And I think that's a really great place to start. Say, how do you how do you get talent to work in your organization? So I would definitely start there. And I think you need to brand yourself in a way that you no longer necessarily introducing yourself as an attorney, which I know can be difficult because that's been your identity for so long. But here's what I bring to this population or to this customer base or to this organization so that people can start to see where you fit and introduce you to the right people to get you to the right places. So I think I think there's two things. One, you have to do a little bit more work on your brand and where you want to be and where your skill set is going to be most useful. And then two, reaching out to your colleagues with a specific ask. And that ask might be, who are the recruiting companies or who are the organizations that filter talent to you? And would you be willing to introduce me to your contact there? Because I think those two things will get you very far in your next step. The other thing I would recommend, because this is such a a big switch and, and includes a geography change to another country, I would highly recommend working with a career coach who can help you rebrand, help you redo your LinkedIn, help you to um, introduce yourself in a way that your contacts can really bring good information that's going to be helpful back to you. Because when you do that, when you have the message that it's very clear, you're going to be shocked how many people say, oh, I should introduce you to this person or, oh, have you checked out this organization? Because a lot of people go broad thinking that this is going to be my best bet is just to say, I'll work in any country, I'll work on any cause. But that does two things. One, 
your contacts have no idea how to help you because they, they can't make a connection with anything. And two, it makes it seem like maybe you haven't thought enough about this and this might be a whim. So do I really want to use my, my social capital on somebody who's maybe just thinking about it but not really sure? Flip side, when you say, I am committed to moving to Uganda to help with the, you know, this specific cause and this specific organization or these types of organizations. Now people have something to connect with. Oh, I know somebody in Uganda. Maybe they don't do exactly that, but I know they work with recruiters, so they probably know someone to connect you with. You have to give people something to connect with, Michael, and then they're going to filter all sorts of information your way. No doubt. And I I think this is a great need. I think this is um, obviously going to be something that inspires and interests you. And I have no doubt once you start making that more specific, you're going to get so many people who are going to be eager to have you come join their organization. Wonderful. I've been nodding my head every time you've been speaking. <laughs> we can't see that on radio, yeah. but I appreciate okay. you saying that. No, I'm so excited. And um, like I said, you, once you get that LinkedIn uh, up and going and very targeted, again, that's going to be another great resource for you. So if you haven't modified it uh, to be very focused, I think you're going to see a lot of great changes that way too. I will work on that this weekend. Yeah, Michael, thank you so much for giving us a call on Dr. Dawn on Careers. We appreciate it. We wish you all the best in your next steps. And this is what we're here for. You got a question? You're confused about how to apply some of the advice you've heard? Give us a call. Sirius XM 132. 844-942-7866. We are here for you. You can also tweet at Dr. Dawn Graham anytime because we will pick up your questions there as well. Hey, John in Michigan, welcome to the show. It's on your mind today. Hi, Dr. Don. How are you doing? Great. How are you? What's, what's going on, I'm, John? I'm doing pretty good. I, uh, good. I guess I had a question. I, uh, I'm changing career fields majorly. Um, my current career field is in the medical industry. Um, I'm going back to college uh, to get my four-year degree, and I'm going to be 40 by the time I'm done. So I guess my concern is, is, is there still viable work for uh, business administration, business management, for someone entering the new market at 40 years old. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, well, first off, you know, 40 is like the new 20. So, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, but no, I, you're, you're totally right. Age bias is real and there's a concern and certainly in specific industries as well. So you'll see this that, you know, in tech and, and other things that there's definitely a skewed, um, you know, age range. So it's, it's worth being, diligent about and making sure that you prepare so so are you concerned um about this being a problem because of something you've experienced or is this just something that is on the top of your mind and you want to make sure you tackle Uh, a couple things um one is is the network um i i've never been real strong at networking but all my networking has been in medical and i'm trying to distance myself at a maximum from that particular field so without alienation of course but um networking into new uh business realm is going to be a challenge for me that's one of the things um determining even though i've got my majors determining what specific avenue of business i'm going to get into um you know i'm still pretty new in the in the uh college uh track here but um you know, the impact that it's going to have on my family. I've got, you know, a 9- and 11-year-old and a wife that I've been married to for 14 years. So there's, it's a huge impact on our family doing this transition. And as supportive as they have been, there's still the lingering doubt of, am I making the right choice kind of thing. Okay. You you are making the right choice there. You don't have to worry about that. Cross that off your list. Here's the deal. Um Here's the steps you need to follow and and in this order to get where you want to be. First and foremost, you have to figure out what you want to do in your next step. Degree or no degree, I think the degree will obviously support this and will show your commitment to making this switch, which is an awesome thing. But I think you need to get very clear on what you want to do. I also, what did you do before you came back to school? Uh, I was. Um uh, in uh, medical repair, basically like biomedicine. 
Okay. So I'm certain that from that career, you bring a lot of transferable skills. You've worked with customers, you've solved problems, you had to come up with creative ideas, and you may be discounting some of that because you've never thought about applying it to a business role before. But I think that's one thing you want to start doing is thinking about you know, what What did I do? Can I break it down into its very, very basic components and then rebuild it up to show how I am a great hire in the business world? Again, once you figure out what you want to do, do you have a do you have any idea where you're thinking about um, applying this degree to? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm interested in uh, human resources, but I'm double majoring in international business and uh, organized behavior and human Resources management. Wow, it's a mouthful. Yeah, that is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so human resources, organizational development, that's what my master's is in, by the way. Um, it is It is a great, great career. There's so many opportunities in this, so I think that's a great, great thing that you're focusing on. But, two, here's the deal. Once you have an idea that you want to move into a human resources role, now you can get even more specific. What do you want to do in HR? So do you want to focus on the organizational development side? Do you want to focus on, um, you know, comp and benefits? Do you want to focus on employee relations? There's so many different areas. So I think this is kind of your next step is to say, where do, what do I want to focus on? And then where do I want to do this? Because you have this medical background, I mean, maybe you want to apply this in a pharma industry or in some kind of biomedical industry that would value that industry experience that you bring and that can be viewed as a huge strength so I think I think when you start kind of putting the puzzle pieces together you've got all the puzzle pieces and I love that you're making this change and committing to a degree um, you know mid-career because I think what a great role model for your your 9 and 11 year olds who are probably not even thinking about jobs yet but um, this is this is the way of the world we all need to be reskilling we all need to be looking at what we're doing and saying hey is this viable for the rest of my career and if it's not and my company's not reskilling me how can I take what what's of interest to me and where the market is going and create opportunities for myself which is exactly what you're doing and here's the other thing you talked about networking and um, most of us feel like this is a foreign thing and it's uncomfortable but the, the reality is networking is just having conversations, having conversations with your neighbors that you barbecue with, having conversations with your relatives, your friends, your buddies at the club, you know, the people you play softball with. The reality is once you have a plan A and you start to talk to people about it and say, you know, I'm really interested in in doing comp and benefits in HR in the pharma industry. And particularly I'm looking at these companies in the Michigan area. All of a sudden, people are going to start saying, oh, you should meet my 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 friend so-and-so. They work there. Or, you know, I just saw an article on that. It looks like they're creating a new division. I don't know if it's in your, your area, but you should look at that. And you need to give people something to connect with, an anchor to connect with. And so you're, you're so close. And then you need to basically look at your LinkedIn, your resume, how you introduce yourself, and make sure all of that aligns. So how do you introduce yourself, John? I know I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit in the air, but... Well, let's 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 work on this. Okay, so um, well, I always approach uh, with a positive stature. Hi, my name is John. I uh, work for X company, and uh, looking forward. Well, I guess it depends on what the I guess it depends on what the uh, what the environment is. Is it is it a you know is it, is it a social gathering or is it like meeting a friend of a friend? Yeah, let's talk about networking. So someone doesn't really know you and they're, you know, this might be an opportunity to to build a new contact who can connect you to something you are interested in doing. Yeah, so I guess I would introduce myself. Hi, my name is John. I'm a current student at the uh, University of Michigan studying for business. And, you know, this is my goals for uh, my graduation. And I'm looking forward to... uh, uh, pursuing any type of avenue that I can have that would be in relation to that. All right, I'm going to tweak that for you. You've you've got all the information. I'm just going to tweak it just a little. So, hey, my name is John. I have 15 years in the medical industry. And for the past three years, I've been studying my focus on learning more about the human resources world. And I want to bring my background of working with customers and doing 
um, creative work to an organization in pharma such as XYZ where I can help the company to grow its talent population during this uh, war for talent. You know, just a tweak. Okay. So basically what I did is I just flipped it and I said, you know, let's not talk about what you want and what you're looking for and that you're a student because these are all words I'm, I'm connecting to and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with that. But what I'm really doing is saying, hey, um, I have 15 years and experience in the medical industry. I'm committing, you know, for the last three years, I've committed to go back to school to um, take my skills in collaborating with customers and creative problem solving to move into the human resources field where I can help impact the growing field of pharma in these companies. I mean, bam, now I can say, wow, have you checked out this pharma company? Or bam, wow, could, you know, I, I just saw an HR job over here. See, see when I see that tweak, how it just opens up so much. 30 second, 30 second resume. Yeah. Basically, or, bam. Uh, yeah, 30-second verbal resume. Yeah, and I have okay. so many things to connect with now, so I can I can help you. And you just need to do this with your neighbors, your friends, people already invested in you, and you'll be surprised at how many people, once you give them a connection point, will say, oh, I can introduce you to so-and-so, or I can, um, you know, my friend worked at that company, they probably still have some contacts. Like, yeah, and that's what I think. I think I think this is great. I'm excited for you. I, I feel like, you know, once you, you take what we just talked about and, and weave it into your LinkedIn, you know, introducing yourself as a student or looking for opportunities, like, that's all, like, they know that. That'll come out. But your first line and what you want to, how you want to express those things comes across in the value you add to your audience. So you want to give people, John, the language to pass along to others, essentially. You don't want that language to be, oh, this is a student or this is somebody looking for this. You want that language to be, this person has great industry experience, has 15 years of collaborating with customers and would be an awesome for this HR job. Make sense? Makes sense. Thank you very much. Awesome. John, thank you so much for giving us a call. We really appreciate it here on Dr. Dawn on Careers. We are here for you as your personal career coach every week. And Really quickly, as time has flown by, we have to answer the pre-break quiz, so I'm going to do that really quickly. So here's how you eat tortilla chips to come to a better negotiation. You eat them in a shared bowl, Dion, rather than separate bowls. So they did a study Whoa, where people are sharing... digging our hands in the bowl? Look, yeah. dude, uh, <laughs> I'm just telling you, you eat them in a shared bowl, and you're going to come to your negotiations faster than if you eat them out of separate bowls. Quite frankly, I would just be happy somebody gave me more tortilla chips. I'd be like, sure. Well, yes, you don't get yes, more because everybody's got their hands in there. Yeah, no, I know. There's a germ factor. But anyway, the point a germ factor, a, a big germ, especially now. Um, so the point being is the PSA is when you're negotiating, you have to find that you know there, there's always something you have in common. There's always a shared goal, and you kind of have to find that, and you're going to get to where you want to be. Hey, you're you're just tuning in. Well, you missed it, but good news is it's going to be replayed several times throughout the week. You can catch those times on Twitter at Dr. Don Gray. And of course, we also podcast on iTunes and Google Play. We are here for you every week live on Thursdays on Sirius XM 132. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Dana Dion, thank you for making this show so fun. And of course, to all of our callers and listeners, we are here for you every week. Insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.